We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You're listening to Setting the Pace, your go-to Pacers podcast with Alex Golden and Michael Focci. Miller for three. Oh, he banked it in. He banked it in. And the game is tied. We're going to overtime. Warren lets it fly. Yes. T.J. Warren is not human. Razor catches, shoots for three to win it. He hits it. To go. Brogdon for three. Let's Got go. it. O'Neal drives on Yao. Puts it in. Duarte for three. Boom, baby. Anthony attacks oh. Hibbert. Denies him at the rim. Karis LeVert. People don't realize how good he really is. LeVert. Skies high for the jam. Stevenson passes into Sabonis for the basket. Jackson turns, fires, and hits. Oh, Turner bringing that smoke. Flips it to the big fella, fake shoots, and hits. This is TJ McConnell, and you're listening to Setting the Pace. What is going on, Pacer Nation? Welcome back to another episode of Setting the Pace. I'm your host, Alex Golden, and joining me today, as he does every week, it's the one and only Michael J. Fachi. Fachi, how's it going, brother? Alex, life is a lot better after a Pacers W. I mean, we have already been battle-tested three games into the season, back-to-back overtime games, you know, in a back-to-back nights, and the Pacers finally pulled it out. They beat the Miami Heat. Woo, it felt good. I was able to catch the game right as it was going into overtime. I didn't even get to see Duarte's missed three attempt until later when I rewatched the game on Sunday this morning. But it was one of those things, Fatch, where I was just waiting in anticipation. I had the Wi-Fi, but it wouldn't stream the game, so I was getting so frustrated. But I was able to keep up on Twitter and see what was happening. And I was like, are we really going to blow this again? I think I texted you during that flight, and I was like, have we really only scored six points in the third quarter? But I don't want to get ahead of myself because we got to recap the game on Friday night against the Washington Wizards. Pacers lose 135-134. to You were in attendance for that game, Fadji. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Tell us a little bit more about your in-game experience. Oh, it it was awesome. I mean, you know, living in Washington, D.C., when the Pacers come to town, I make a promise to myself every year, I will be there. And I'm going to splurge on the tickets. I had great seats right behind the Pacers bench. Um, I was very fortunate enough to actually be able to meet a few of the guys like Karis LeVert, uh, Dejan Giroux, uh, TJ Warren, Jeremy Lamb, Torrey Craig. It was awesome. L- little stuff like that 
being a diehard Pacer fan makes you love the team, like win or lose. But in terms of the game, it was, it was one of the best games I've been to. I know the Pacers lost, but it was back and forth overtime. When you go to a basketball game, all you ever do is hope that it can be a close game. And this was a nail biter. It was 73, 73 at halftime. Pacers do their classic fall behind in the third. They get outscored by 10. And then all of a sudden they roar all the way back, even had a six point lead in overtime, but it just, it just didn't work out. The Pacers lose by one, but I think it's always going to be known as the Miles Turner game. Alex, 40 points from Miles Turner. He looked unbelievable. Man, if we could even get 50% of that Miles, often we're going to be a, a dangerous team because the Pacers, they were clicking. Miles Turner looked aggressive. He looked confident. Sabonis got his. Duarte was getting his. Brogdon was getting his. I mean, it, it, this team, it looked like, wow. Just the only thing is they forgot to play defense. At this point, through two games, they just did not look good defensively. Turner, you know, had some nice blocks in both those games, but in this game offensively, he was a monster. 15 of 22, 5 and 9 from 3. The very first play of the game, they got him a nice action coming off of a back screen from Justin Holiday, where he cut right to the basket. Sabonis hit him for the open dunk. I mean, this was probably the best Turbonis game that we have ever had in Pacers history. I mean, the, the guys combined for 68 points together and shot ridiculously. Like I said, they were uh, Turner was 15 of 22. Sabonis was 10 of 13, 25 of 30, uh, 35. That's pretty good shooting, Flachi. So I was blown away by just the performance from Miles Turner. We have never seen him look this aggressive over the past three years, especially since Sabonis came into the starting lineup. They were going to Turner. He was the focal point of the offense for the majority of that game. Just a bummer that we lost. I was just very disappointed, Foch, with the way the game ended because, like you said, we had that six-point lead heading into overtime, and then we just completely crapped the bed. Well, they were even up six in overtime. That's what made it hurt that much worse was that Spencer Dinwiddie hits back-to-back threes, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, my God. Whenever the Pacers scored a basket, they gave up a basket, and that's what just made it such a tough pill to swallow because – I mean, the, the Wizards crowd, they were going nuts. And I felt like the Pacers had silenced them at times, but they just could not close them out. And to make it all worse, it, it was guys like Kyle Kuzma and Davis Bertans that were hitting big shots. I mean, oh, those are guys that you cannot count on. And they delivered that night. So it was unfortunate. But to go back to Turner real quick, he looked confident. He looked aggressive. I mean, one thing that, that was great to see them, uh, the Tabronis duo combined for 19 rebounds. I mean, yeah. they were rebounding the ball. It was They were doing everything. But the bench that you mentioned, it was putrid. I mean, it was horrible. Through the first two games of the season, the Pacers bench was averaging 16 points per game. Just absolutely horrendous. And they were giving up 41 and a half points per game. So for the bench, I mean, just just really not what you wanted to see at all. Um, I, I feel like we saw our first uh, Brad Wanamaker sighting. Nothing really there. O'Shea Brissett played eight minutes after not playing in the first game. We'll touch on him uh, a lot later. But uh, Brissett, just, you wouldn't have even known he was there, to tell you the truth. Just one foul, no shot attempts. Torrey Craig was not effective. So it really was to, to the big three or whatever you want to call them, the big four now of Sabonis, Turner, Brogdon, Duarte really had to combine for, you know, almost all the points. And when you score 134 points, uh, four guys can really only do oh so much. You need it to be more of a team affair. And that's where the Washington Wizards were able to chip in 55 bench points. So that's a big difference in the game. 
Yeah, you're, you're, you hit the money on the head there. Kuzma hit so many timely shots. It's like every time Turner would come down and hit a three or get a nice layup or dunk wherever he was shooting at, it felt like Kuzma would come down and hit one. And then Bertans, you know, backdooring Jeremy Lamb, like, ah, oh, that was one of the most frustrating things to see. And you mentioned it, the core four, Justin Holiday is that fifth starter. But since that injury that he had in preseason, he hasn't looked the same. He's looked really good at points, but – he re-injured that injury, or he re-injured himself in that game against Washington. And Brad Wanamaker, he only played two minutes, and that's why he only played two minutes is because he was not very effective at all. T.J. McConnell, he had nine points, was four of nine from the field, probably his best game, I would say, of the three so far. But Jeremy Lamb, I mean, that he has been so cold in these first two games here that we're talking about. It was like, okay, what is he going to do here? So he ends up getting nine points for the team. But his defense was so bad, Fachi. Like, I'm trying not to crap on the guy too much because we did a lot of that during the offseason. Like, get this guy off the team. He's got no value, nothing like that. But if you look at it, outside of him before they played O'Shea Brissett, there is no offense off the bench. I felt like this was a game the Pacers definitely should have won. A lot of Brogdon hate and slander because of his perimeter defense. But I still feel like, okay, this man is playing 40-some minutes a game so far this season. Got a lot on his plate right now, especially without our guys, TJ Warren and Karis LeVert out there. So Brogdon's got to carry the load, and I feel like Brogdon, importantly, has stepped up the most during the clutch time in the fourth and especially in overtime. In, in all three games this year, Brogdon has stepped up towards the end. He's had random stretches where he's gone a bit cold, but he's brought it back together when the Pacers needed him most. And in that, any slander that's going to happen, look, the guy went 12-22 against the Wizards. He had eight rebounds. He had eight assists. I mean, 28 points. So you really can't complain. Brogdon is playing really good right now. It's just about maybe being a bit more consistent throughout the game. But, hey, the guy stepped up when we needed him. In a night like that, when you mentioned where that might have been the best Turbonus performance that we've seen, that is like what you dream of, that under Carlisle. Like, man, can they really figure this out? And get it going, but you don't want to get ahead of yourself because uh, when we touch on the heat game, it, it, it was all different. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the Pacers' first victory against the Miami Heat and some other things. We'll be right back after this. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, everybody, we are back, and we are going to talk about a victory. Yes, the Pacers' first victory at Gainbridge Fieldhouse. The Indiana Pacers take down the Miami Heat, 102-91. to Fachi, a much better defensive performance from the Indiana Pacers. Much, much better. I mean, this was this was like a kind of like a fight. 
I mean, both teams shoot under 40%. Uh, this was a game that it looked like, I mean, think about it. The Miami Heat scored 91 points and the game went to overtime. That yeah. says a lot. I mean, this was a low-scoring game. I believe the Heat had, it was 46 points at halftime. That's everything you wanted to see. I mean, the third quarter was so ugly. The Pacers only score eight, but they only gave up 17. So it was one of those where, look, it's not good at all, but they finally clamped down. I mean, think about it. The Pacers gave up about 40 less points than the night before. So, uh, I mean, that, that says a lot coming off a of back-to-back. I thought this team would have been exhausted if they lost to Miami. I would not have been like, oh, my God, what are we doing? Miami's a good team. They absolutely smoked the Bucs. But this was a win you had to have, and the Pacers delivered. Yeah, the Pacers caught a break with Kyle Lowry not playing in the game. He was out with a left ankle sprain. So that meant that Gabe Vincent got the start. And I'm not trying to hate on Gabe Vincent, but if he's the guy starting, for Kyle Lowry, you take that any day of the week. He was one for three from the field with just two points. So a big, big lift there. But Tyler Hero was a huge problem for the Indiana Pacers. He's been a problem really all season long in the first two games. He's just been on fire. And even in preseason, he played 41 minutes. He led the team with 30 points off the bench. You know, I just feel like the Pacers right now, if there's one area of concern I have, it's that perimeter defense more than anything. But the Pacers were playing quite a bit of zone, I felt like, against the Heat. Yep. trying to figure out ways to maximize the talent on this roster. And you brought it up earlier, Miles Turner, four points, two of six from the field, 16 minutes only, and had five personal fouls. He was in foul trouble all game long. It's, it's crazy to think how a guy can go from 40 points to just four and, and go through all those struggles. I mean, I can't imagine the emotions that go from your head because you have to be on cloud nine after having a career high and then come back and have a bad game like that. But that's part of the NBA, I guess, if you want to call it that. But, you know, the Pacers figured out a way to mask the the absence of Turner, and it came from a surprise person, the guy that we never knew if he was going to crack the rotation. Every podcast that I've been listening to covering the Pacers has said, this guy deserves minutes, and he came big – he came through big time last night. That was O'Shea Brissett, played 32 minutes, 7-11 from the field, 18 points, 9 rebounds. Big time play after big time play to keep this Pacers team afloat and to eventually win this game in overtime. Tell me what you liked about O'Shea Brissett's game last night. Alex, we don't win this game without O'Shea. He was the difference. There was random stretches where he got real hot or hit big baskets towards the end. I mean, there was even one possession where I saw him outwork three Miami Heat players to get the rebound and then go up with it. And it was like, that's that kind of hustle that I want to be contagious. I mean, 18 points for a guy that didn't play in game one and didn't even get a shot up in game two. So you can see right now, we talked about it. I didn't know what it was if Carlisle was lower on Brissett or what the deal was, because obviously Brissett was more of a Nate Bjorkman guy. But this was the confidence booster that O'Shea needed and for Rick to notice that this guy needs to play. He goes from playing eight minutes in game two to 32 minutes. And the Pacers, to, to be honest, needed all of those minutes because he was huge. 18 points. Well, the leading scorer on our team was Duarte with 19, to put it in perspective. Brissett was that big. Yeah, and I think it was great that Carlisle admitted that he probably should have had him in the rotation. Yep. And I, I think he was buying a little bit into the Torrey Craig signing. I don't know. Torrey Craig's known for his defense, so I get why you play him out there. He had two points last night, played 11 minutes. He really was not that impactful to me. I think Torrey Craig did a pretty good job in the first three quarters of that game against the Hornets. But then Gordon Hayward just kind of had his way in the fourth. And then 
I didn't feel like he was that impressive at all in the Wizards game either. So not trying to hate on Torrey Craig or anything like that, but it was just one of those things where you, you kind of know what you have with Torrey Craig. He's been in the league for a little bit where last year you saw this bright spot from O'Shea Brissett. He's 23 years old. J. Michael put a great tweet out saying he got him for pennies, basically, in terms of NBA contracts. So he's a guy that has a lot of potential. And so the Pacers really could use that scoring punch off the bench, especially with Levert and Warren out, like we keep talking about. Can't keep relying on all your starters, and that is what Brissett can do. He can put the ball on the floor and get to the basket. He can knock down three-point shots. He's done a good job at working on getting fouled and getting to the free-throw line. So there's a lot to like about O'Shea Brissett here. When I see TJ McConnell playing with this second unit, he does not look like the same guy that we saw the last couple of years. I think a lot of it is because of the philosophy this offense is trying to establish. It does not really fit McConnell's game. There, there was a slow-mo video that our friend Tyler Smith put out. And if you look at TJ McConnell's form, it is one of the most interesting and not beautiful things in the world. Like, it, it doesn't look like a good shot at all. So uh, he's worked on that. I'm not sure exactly how he's going to continue to craft that and get that shot down. But, you know, it doesn't look promising for him. So you're going to need some big-time scores. Jeremy Lamb stepped up real big in that first quarter. I think he had three threes in the first. So Jeremy Lamb ended up being four of six from the field. And all of his points came from the three-point line. Very streaky shooter, but he only played 18 minutes. This was definitely a collective game from pretty much our starting five. Uh, but instead of Turner, O'Shea Brissett kind of filled that fifth man right there. No, he did. And to go back to, you know, McConnell, McConnell just, he's not going to be a three-point shooting guy. It's just not his game. I don't think it's going to come. I strongly believe that he has worked very hard on it. But he just kind of, he doesn't feel comfortable out there shooting threes. And I feel like after he misses one or two of them, he starts to second-guess it a bit. And against Washington, towards the end, towards regulation, McConnell put up a three-pointer, which I got to be honest, was probably the last shot you wanted to see go up there. He yeah. missed it. The Pacers really needed a basket. It was unfortunate. Look, I know he hasn't been maybe as impactful as last year, but just a little bit, just to give McConnell a little bit of praise. 17 assists on the season to just two turnovers. So, hey, he, he's protecting the rock and all that. From a scoring standpoint, like, it, it's tough, and we haven't seen maybe – I mean, he, he's had some steals and all of that. So, he's got he's got three steals, but it's not like last year where he was averaging over two steals per game. So, you know, hasn't been maybe the same McConnell as before. To go and touch on Lamb, Lamb started out the game three for three from three. So, he had nine of his 12 points in, like, a, about a two-minute span. So, you know, it was, it was very big, though. It got the Pacers off to a, a great lead after that super quiet performance from Lamb. Um, the hope is with Lavert getting reevaluated on Monday that maybe he can come back soon. And we'll see Lamb's minutes shrink down a little bit. See um, Torrey Craig's minutes kind of come down a bit. O'Shea, he's, he's not going to play in 32 minutes, but we have to find him solid minutes. Um, because he he really was the difference off the bench. When when I mentioned the bench was averaging 16 points per game through two games, O'Shea comes in there, drops 18. I mean, that goes a long way. Right, and I don't think that we can count on O'Shea to put up 18 no. points every night, but he has the potential to do it. I think Jeremy Lamb is another guy that has the potential to do it, but really anybody else on the bench right now, I don't see that offensive production coming out anytime, too, anytime soon. So, you, you feel bad for McConnell, but he did have a steal that did ignite the fan base a little yep. bit because the fans were just kind of waiting and waiting and waiting in the first gold out of the of the season. It had been so long since we'd actually had fans 
in attendance for a Pacers game. So definitely something important. But I just got to touch on one thing here. Shooting-wise, it was a really bad performance from the backcourt of Indiana between Brogdon and Duarte combined 11 for 40 from the field. They both had, you know, a total of 37 points, so not a great shooting night. But I want to say that I love how they scrapped and played, especially defensively towards the end. Brogdon coming up with 14 rebounds, Fachi. That is something we're not used to seeing from Brogdon. Love that he is getting in there and being more aggressive. You talked about the Pacers have won the rebound battle in all three games. It's always been a matter of the guards don't rebound, and now we're seeing that the guards are starting to rebound the basketball more. And that's what we've talked about before was like, look, we love Miles Turner, but in year seven, he's not just going to become like a 10 rebound per game guy. Like you can't ask the bonus to, to average more rebounds when he's already been averaging, you know, around like 11, 12 rebounds before. Like the, the rebounding has to come from within. The guards have to do a better job of doing it. Brogdon having 14 rebounds in a game where his shot was not falling cannot be understated. It can't be overstated enough because 14 rebounds, it was huge. Huge. I think he led everybody. In, uh, he led the Pacers in rebounding. Uh, Bam Adebayo had 16, but you can live with Bam out-rebounding Brogdon any day. And he also had two blocks. I mean, I, I thought that the Pacers' defense, look, we mentioned that it was better. They also had timely, you know, blocks. It was times where we saw two different Pacers trying to block the same guy and coming close to it. So I thought that was awesome. They smothered Jimmy Butler in this game. I mean, Jimmy Butler, 7 of 22 in this game. The help defense was there. Brogdon had big baskets in overtime, big baskets towards the end in the fourth quarter, like we mentioned. He has stepped his game up as the game has gone on. And when you're talking about, you know, last shots, Alex, to see Chris Duarte take what would have been the game-winning shot at the end, even though he missed it, I loved every single second of it because, you know, he got that he turned around. Tyler Hero was right there. That ball nearly went in. But what really speaks the loudest is the confidence from Carlisle and that coaching staff in Duarte in just his third game to say, hey, you know, let's go home. You know, let's shut yeah. it down. And he almost did. And I loved it. It'll happen. It'll fall. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about Chris Duarte, a guy who took a three-point shot about 10 feet behind the three-point line to give the Pacers the lead. face. Yeah, right in Tucker's face. P.J. Tucker, you know, zero points once again from P.J. Tucker. We're used to seeing those performances in the finals, and now we're seeing them in the regular season, too. I think P.J. Tucker is getting a little bit older and might not have the same edge that he once had about two or three years ago. But with that being said, I love seeing it, too, Fosh. I mean, Duarte led the team in shots last night, 21 shot attempts. He was 6 of 21 from the field. Did not shoot the ball well, but I love the confidence that he has to keep shooting the ball because what do you say when a shooter is cold? Shooters keep shooting. They shoot out of their slump. So for me, watching Chris Duarte continue to kind of look for a shot, and he had good looks. Some of them just weren't falling. I mean, they weren't bad shots. He wasn't forcing a lot. So I love the confidence that he's playing with, and I also love the green light that Carlisle and this coaching staff have given him and the players basically saying, hey, Chris, do what you got to do. They said in preseason, they said it in training camp, they said it during the regular season in press game conferences, we need Chris because Chris is going to help us win basketball games. We're seeing it in the first three games. I love seeing all the hype for Chris Duarte. We got some MVP chants, I believe, in overtime that was heard in, in, in Gainbridge Fieldhouse. So I'm loving everything that we're hearing about Chris Duarte. I love what we're seeing from Chris Duarte. 
I'm just ready for him to continue to take those steps forward to where those three-point shot attempts at the end of the game has become makes and not close misses. Hey, they will. I mean, yes, despite going 6 of 21, he was a plus 15 in this game. He made timely plays. He's basically at this point automatic from the free throw line, which is huge. This guy's not afraid of any moment at all. He already has two buzzer beaters on the season. I mean, and he's protecting the ball, averaging just 1.3 turnovers per game through three games for a rookie. And a, a guy that, that has had 15 or more shots in every game, it's saying a lot. I mean, this guy does not look like he's, you know, having to just play through a bunch of struggles and everything. He is he does not look like a rookie at all. So it's been yeah. great. He scored at least 15 in all three games. Alex, we did not know what his role would be. We heard Carlisle doesn't play rookies. Alex, through three games, he's averaging nearly 40 minutes per game. <laughs> this guy is a huge part of the team. He's a, he, there's no, this is not going above and beyond. This guy is a pacer legend in the making. Well, we got to talk about how he never gets a foul trouble either. This kid has done a great job of positioning himself on the defensive end of the, of the, of the ball because I watched and there was times where he was guarding Tyler Hero and he forced Tyler Hero to pass the ball up and go somewhere else. He got switched on to Jimmy Butler. I mean, you're talking about guys that were just two years ago in the NBA Finals that Chris Duarte is out there guarding. And so then Monday night, we're going to be playing the Milwaukee Bucks. He's going to have his hands full with at least Chris Middleton, maybe Drew Holiday if he does play. I know he missed the last game, but it's going to be one of those things where he's going to have to go out there and place against some of the best of the best. And maybe I'm jinxing it, but I, I've just been impressed by the fact that he's not gotten himself into foul trouble. And I believe that that's just a sign of maturity in his game because a lot of times you see rookies getting foul trouble. I mean, Jeremy Lamb, I'm not saying he gets in foul trouble, but sometimes he just gets so lazy on defense. When a guy blows by him, he does that stupid reach around thing that you see an yep. old man pickup ball mm -hmm. that gets called almost every time where he puts his teammates in a bad position to get called for a foul. Where Duarte doesn't do that, he's working through the screens, fighting over him, fighting under him, just trying to play solid defense. I'm not saying it's perfect right now. He doesn't have the, the full NBA body yet. He hasn't really put on that extra muscle that he'll do. Probably in the offseason, we're all going to be blown away when he comes back next season. But he's done a great job so far to me in these three games, especially against some really good competition and all the backcourts that we played, guarding some of the better perimeter players in the NBA and being able to stay with them. I mean, he was guarding LaMelo Ball in the first game, and then he's guarding Spencer Dinwiddie some in the next game. So he's had his hands full, and I think that we're starting to slowly see Chris Duarte not only become an offensive firepower, but a defensive, uh, a competent defensive player. That is just seven fouls in three games. You'd take that any day, just a hair over two per game. I mean, th this guy, he has everybody excited. I feel like I, I tweeted it out. I feel like Chris Duarte is the guy that's going to make the casual fans notice the Pacers because he's become must-see TV. What he's doing right now in this rookie class he is, it's, it's not an exaggeration. He is amongst the very best in this rookie class right now. Kate Cunningham, I don't believe, has played. Jalen Green has struggled. Uh, Evan Mobley looks good right now. Uh, Scotty Barnes looks good. But right now, I mean, Chris Duarte is right there with those guys. And you're talking about a guy that was picked 13th overall, not a top five pick or even top seven because Scotty Barnes. But, I mean, there's, there's guys right over here that he – he deserves to be talked about with the best of his rookie class. And right now he's making a major impact on this Pacers team, an impact that we could not have even predicted at all. And yeah. on another note, 
We finally got to see some Isaiah Jackson. Look, just a free throw, but Isaiah Jackson made his debut. It was great to see him get in there. Um, so Carlo has expanded that rotation a little bit, going from eight players to, you know, in this game, we just had 10 players play. Uh, I mean, look, it's, it's, it's minimal. You know, he barely got in there, played about two minutes, but still got to see him out there, hit a free throw. Yeah, had a free throw, and he came in there for def- defensive purposes, really, to, to avoid foul trouble any further. But real quick, a guy we haven't brought up at all that really played great in this game against the Heat was DeMontis Sabonis. He was a plus 18 at 17 points. He also had four steals on the night. I know there was one that he had on, on Jimmy Butler that he kicked out to an open three for Lamb. So, you know, it's one of those things where Sabonis, I feel like he has not been maybe the focal point of the offense as much as usual, like we've seen over the last year, especially with Bjorkman. But Still finding ways to be impactful. Another double-double for him, a second of the season. So really like what I'm seeing from Domas in this game, and I really like the fact that uh, his defense looks to be a little bit better. He had a really nice block, I believe it was, in that Wizards game. Where did he? Who did he step at the rim? Do you remember who it was? Was it Dinwiddie? Uh, I believe it was Dinwiddie. Yeah, so he had a stuff at the rim, and I was like, okay. And then him and Brogdon had a double stuff on Jimmy Butler against the Heat that the Pacers tweeted out. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you're seeing a little bit more of a defensive – mindset from Sabonis. I think last year he was so focused on doing everything offensively that defensively he was one, put in bad positions and two, wasn't utilized, you know, wasn't like fully putting his mind to playing defense uh, all out. And so now they've been playing a lot of different zones. I've noticed that as well. And with letting Sabonis play some zone and, and, and being able to guard the center and not always have to guard the guy out of the perimeter, which he's, you know, had to do for a little bit now playing with Turner it does help him a little bit in, in terms of that on defensive on the defensive side of things. And going smaller, playing O'Shea, that does give you leverage to, to put some bonus on the center as well. But, yeah, I thought it was just a really solid game from him as well. Great to see the Pacers get a big W. They needed this win. Nobody likes to see a team go 0-3 with a tough schedule that they have coming up. I mean, it's not going to be easy. Carlisle hinted at it. But, you know, this is a good confidence booster, and hopefully we can get that home-winning record back after losing it last year with Bjorkman. Yeah, I mean, the Pacers, if they dropped down to 0-3, they would have tried to say all the right things. But, you know, three really close losses would have started to get to the team a little bit to just say, man, what's wrong? What do we need to do at the end of the game? Getting a win against a team like Miami. I mean, Brogdon said it. I saw you tweet it out. I loved every second of it. Brogdon said, we handled Miami, and we can handle the, like, the rest of the teams in the East. That's a team that has championship aspirations. So this was a big win. I mean, every win is, is big, but to beat a team like Miami that was in the finals just two years ago that had a great offseason retooling to get back in the finals, this is exactly what the doctor ordered. And Sabonis in that game, I mean, man, it's crazy that we, it felt like we basically skipped over him. But, you know, you mentioned 17 and 12 right over there. The defense has been improved this year. You, you're seeing him just – compete more to, to block shots. He had the four steals. Alex, we didn't even talk about yet his improved three-point percentage. I know he went 0 for 3 against Miami, but this is someone right now that in years past could not shoot threes. Could not – well, he could shoot them, couldn't make them. Uh, th- through three games, he's putting up over four attempts per game. That is a true sample size. That's something – that's anything bigger than two, you can start to say, okay, sure, that really counts. Well, he's shooting 46% so far. Do we expect him to keep that up? Absolutely not. But if Sabonis can be a 35% three-point shooter, putting up, you know, four or so attempts, 
That, that's that's a capable three-point shooter, and that's all we were asking from this year. He, each year, he gets better and better at, at a few different things. Well, this year, so far, the defense and three-point shooting, it looks improved. And, oh, yeah, he's shooting 63% from the field right now. Yeah, no, his three-point shot has looked better. It's looked really good in that Charlotte game, and it looked decent in the Wizards game. I didn't bring up three-point shooting at all with this Miami Heat game because if you look at our starting five, we want to combine oh, three yeah, of 25, three of 25 from three. So that's pretty disgusting. I mean, it's yes. about as ugly as it gets. Thankfully, you had Brissett and Liam go a combined seven of 11. So they look pretty good off the bench. But other than that, you know, that starting that starting unit was just not hitting the three ball. And one of the threes that we talked about already was a prayer that Duarte threw up uh, as the shot clock was expiring. So just not a great three-point shooting night, but Fachi. Good to talk about a win now. Let's go into our player of the week. It's time for your setting the pace player of the week. Brought to you by Smoke and Barrel Barbecue. They put their heart and soul into the food, and uh, I would love to eat there every day if I could. Open Thursday through Saturday at 11. Located at Camp Sertoma. Smoke and Barrel Barbecue, baby. All good in this head. Smoke and Barrel Barbecue. It's smoking good. It is the man that we were talking about in the last segment, DeMontis Sabonis. For the three games uh, against uh, Charlotte, against Washington, and Miami, Sabonis averaged 26 points per game, 12 rebounds, over four assists. He averaged 1.3 steals. He shot 63% from the field, 46% from three, and uh, just was was two double-doubles in there and was just someone that was rock-solid, consistent for the Pacers on the week. Was there another player that you think could have won it over Sabonis? Uh, it would have been close. I think Brogdon makes a pretty good case for number two. Turner, I mean, Turner's game was so phenomenal against the Wizards that that almost counts as like two great performances. But if you go back and look at the Heat game, it just was not a good game from Turner. So those kind of didn't cancel each other out, I wouldn't say completely. But he didn't play particularly well in the second half against the Hornets either. So we've seen really, you know, uh, a game and a half, great of a great of Turner with an overtime in there, but I feel like Sabonis overall. I know defensively people are going to come at me and say, "Well, Sabonis is terrible on defense. He did nothing for this team." But besides that, same thing with Brogdon. I felt like both those guys really kind of handled the handled the pressure down the stretch and kept these games afloat. Chris Duarte, obviously, that had been the hot, spicy pick, but those were the four candidates. But I think if you look at consistency and what they provided for the team on both ends of the floor and, and how they get others involved. To me, it just made sense to put Sabonis in this position, especially after that first game that he had. Absolutely. Look, don't get me wrong. Chris Duarte was 10 times better than expectations were this week. I mean, the 27 points in his debut is something that no one's going to forget. He played way better than, than anyone could have imagined. And he, he averaged over 20 points per game on the week, uh, basically just under five rebounds per game. 
from three-point land, he's shooting just under 46%. So Duarte did a lot of things great, but, you know, from a, a field goal percentage standpoint, Sabonis was basically about 20% better. I mean, you can't argue with that. Brogdon, huge week, just like you mentioned. I mean, he's averaging just under 25 points uh, uh, through the three games, but I also felt like Brogdon struggled a bit with his shot. So, you know, Sabonis, hey, if Sabonis hit that game winner against uh, Charlotte, I'd say at this point, it's unanimous. But my vote does go to Sabonis just for the consistency. I mean, this was this was uh, three games that he was just intensely accurate. Well, let's make a prediction. How many uh, player of the weeks do you think Sabonis wins for us? Uh, I'm going to say quite a lot uh, if he's <laughs> anything that he's looked like in the past, except he looks a little bit better this year so far. We already get we already get knocked as Sabonis homer, so maybe we should do a, a poll and do like 50% of our vote and 50% of the fan vote to make it more fair. Hey, whatever we got to do, because if someone tried to tell me Chris Duarte is the player of the week, I, I would say, hey, I, I can't tell you that you're wrong. Yeah. Duarte was huge. He was a big part of the Pacers. I don't want to call it success on the week because they went one and two, but uh, a big reason of why they were in those games. Same thing with Brogdon. We talked about Brogdon earlier. Brogdon hit countless big shots at the end of games that that kept the Pacers alive. So we had three really good candidates. And shout out to Turner. I mean, that 40-point game, it was unbelievable. It really was. If you could, if you could talk about who had maybe the best, you know, individual game, yeah, Miles Turner's game against Washington was sensational. But yeah. player of the week, there was three games in there. I felt like Sabonis was rock solid through those three games. Well, and I feel like Sabonis' game got a little bit overshadowed by Turner having that big breakout game because in that game against Washington, he had 28 points, 9 rebounds, 7 assists, went 10 of 13 from the field, and 2 of 4 from 3. He only missed three shots, and two of them were three. So he was dominating Daniel Gafford, Montrezl Harrell, Kyle Kuzma, anybody they tried to throw at him because the Wizards' front court is laughable to me compared to the Pacers' front court in terms of what they can do on both ends of the floor. But, yeah, I mean, Sabonis, 43 minutes as well. I mean, he's played a ton of minutes. I'm sure he's tired, especially battling against a Heat team that's very physical, especially Bam Adebayo. Just just a tough weekend for Sabonis, but um, or for the Pacers, I should say, but a, a great way to come out and, and, and show, hey, you know, I'm just the consistent guy, old reliable here, Demonte Sabonis. And that's that's what I think is the only fair pick for this because of the consistency. Yeah, you know, what's actually kind of interesting was uh, we fully expected, you know what, I think this is the year that Sabonis needs to do a little bit less. That way the Pacers can do a bit more. And look, I know Warren and LaVert are out, but through three games, Sabonis is averaging over 16 shot attempts, which is actually about a shot and a half more than last year. So uh, it's interesting. I think in this in this situation, through the first three games, the Pacers needed Sabonis to do more than in years past. So I hope that's not the case when we have LaVert and Warren back so the Pacers can be a more well-rounded team. But for now, I mean, we needed just about every single basket and more from him through three games. So, hey, that's my player of the week, and I hope that we uh, – we have some different results next week because that would prove to the depth of this team. I completely agree. Well, let's take a quick break. We'll come back with our final segment of our weekly show. We'll do Mailbag Monday, Rookie Report, and look at the week ahead. We'll be right back after this. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? 
Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com The Rookie Report, brought to you by Pizza King. Located at 135 and Fairview Road. Call us at 317-882-0340 to place your order today. Pizza King, a proud sponsor of Setting the Pace. The Rookie Report. Duarte inside scores his first NBA points. Now Duarte, his three is perfect. Duarte, he knows where the clock is, lets it fly and hits again. Beat him up. Duarte, step back three and hits his third. That's a tough three too. Now Duarte, another three. Here's a long three. Duarte, got it. Tucker thought he had a lightweight. All right, Fachi. Well, the whole point of the Rookie Report is to talk about both rookies and look at what they've done. But since we haven't really got a big sample size of Isaiah Jackson yet this season, it's all about Chris Duarte. So hit us up first three games of the season, the first week of the season. How'd Chris Duarte do? Well, Alex, um, he did uh, pretty amazing. Like I said, a legend in the making right now against Charlotte. Plays 33 minutes, gets the start. 27 points, a new Pacer franchise rookie record for someone, a rookie making his debut. Um, he does it on 9 of 15 shooting, so 60% for the field, 6 of 9 from 3. I mean, it was one, it was a debut no one will forget anytime soon. Against Washington, 15 points, 5 assists. Uh, didn't shoot the ball quite as effective as in game one, but still, I mean, hey, he could have had five points and we would have said whatever. So drops 15 against Washington, against Miami. 19 points, five rebounds, uh, ends up getting the free throw line going five for five. So struggled from the field, six of 21, but hit big shots. And the one that stood out, that 30-foot shot right in P.J. Tucker's face. I want to know how it tasted, so someone please get in touch with P.J. Tucker. But for now, this is a guy (laughs) that you can trust at the end of the game. Even though the shot didn't go in, Alex, it looked money going into overtime. It showed a lot to the confidence that Carlo has into Duarte, and no doubt about it, the Pacers have a special rookie on their hands. Absolutely, and we want to thank Pizza King for sponsoring this segment, the Rookie Report, as you guys heard in the opening of the segment. So we thank you guys for that. Let's move on to our Monday mailbag or our Mailbag Monday, whatever you want to call it. We've got a few questions here today. Did not give you guys much of a notice to send in questions, but we're going to be doing this every single Monday. So if you have any questions, send them to us. If we get overloaded, we'll pick the best ones. But we want to try to get to all of them, so let's get right to it, Fachi. This comes from Jake X-Line. I know it's early, but what type of numbers would Duarte have to post to be a serious Rookie of the Year candidate? I think if Duarte is averaging roughly around 18 points per game, shooting you know just above 40%, if he could be around, around 45% from the field, I think that that's going to go a long way. I mean, we know this guy, can he's shooting about 46% from three. But if he can maintain, he doesn't need to average 20 points per game. It's right around 18. I feel like he has to be in strong consideration. Yeah, I mean, 20 points right now is really nice for him. 
We'll see how much that scales back once we get Lavert and TJ Warren back into the mix, and he'll probably go back to the bench. I'm not sure what they're going to do. We'll talk about that later. I know we have some questions on that, but you know, you just hope that he can maximize his opportunity when given it. We'll see how Carlisle continues to use him if he continues to give him big minutes and they go a little bit smaller and, and go that route. But I think anywhere from 16 to 18, like you said, Fachi, sounds like the right range for points per game. I think a lot of it really depends on the Pacers winning percentage, because if the Pacers become a four to five seed in the Eastern Conference and Duarte is a starter or is, is a guy that's putting up some serious numbers, I think that winning could give him a little bit of an advantage compared to a guy maybe like a Mobley who's on the Cleveland. If they happen to be tanking or, you know, falling in the bottom half of the Eastern Conference and he's putting up. 20 points with 10 rebounds. I know it's an individual thing, but sometimes I do think that they reward winning. Look at what Brogdon did when he won the award for rookie of the year. Not a not a big challenge for Brogdon because that rookie class was not the same as as this one that Duarte's in. But I really think if he can shoot the ball efficiently, if he can put up good points, maybe be a little bit more impactful defensively with getting his steal numbers up or rebound numbers up, I think that would help him as well. But he's already... In the mix after week one, we've already seen national Instagram and Twitter accounts pushing it out there that he's in the mix already for rookie of the year after week one. So that's a good sign. Absolutely. I mean, you couldn't have asked for anything more. If he struggles, I could not care less because we've already gotten spoiled. I mean, to think about like, oh, man, Duarte missed that shot. We would be so greedy if it would come down to that. It's like I've never been so excited for a mystery pointer in my life because it was so much better than going to some type of like broken down play or that you're like, oh man, Sabonis didn't even have a good look at it. Hey, this, this kid is special. He is going to make everybody notice. And it's, it's just three games. But at this point, I can't see him just becoming someone who starts putting up, you know, five points per game left and right. Like he's arrived. No, he has. And I think he's going to continue to get opportunity after opportunity. Not sure if it becomes, you know, one of those things where he's playing 40-plus minutes a game once no, everyone's healthy. No, no, no. But I, I think that he's going to continue to get shots and he's going to continue to get the opportunity. And maybe he'll get more of a scoring opportunity playing against bench players. But the next question comes from Vinny Kumar. He said, what do you think the rotation will look like when Lavert and Warren are healthy with how well Duarte is playing? Oh, that's a very good question. I mean, right now you and I talked a little bit offline, but – I don't know how you take Chris Duarte out of this starting lineup. I really don't. So I hope that, A, you know, for starters, when Karis LeVert returns, I, I think that Justin Holiday, you hope that he's enough of a professional and a veteran to accept the bench role, and then you can keep Duarte in that starting lineup. But once you get, you know, T.J. Warren back and Karis LeVert at that point, I, look, I can't sit here with a straight face and say, Maybe you can convince T.J. Warren to come off the bench for a little bit, but it just seems like Duarte being a rookie, it feels like he might have to be the odd man out to go to the bench um, because Warren and Levert, I mean, those are pretty much basically the Pacers' leading scorers almost for the last two seasons. I mean, Warren led them two seasons ago. Levert was right in the mix uh, last year. So uh, I just feel like at that point, you're going to have to trim the bottom of the rotation. Jeremy Lamb, I feel like, will earn some minutes. I think he might be closer to that 10-minute mark. Torrey Craig, I think, is going to have his minutes chopped. Isaiah Jackson, you probably don't see him. McConnell might take a, a minute uh, cut. And uh, O'Shea Brissett, you wonder what he's going to be getting. But I don't, I, don't see, uh, I don't see such a large rotation. I really don't. 
Yeah, I think I think the one case you can make for maybe letting Duarte start once Warren comes back is allow Warren to get his legs underneath him because this injury does seem a little bit more complicated than fans, I guess, really understand. And so allowing him to ease his way back into things coming off the bench for at least a couple of weeks or so just to get his feet wet, that could make some sense. I could also see where they go to that smaller lineup that we've talked about where you stagger Sabonis and Turner more when needed. I can see that, but they're already not playing go guys. They Jackson's not really in the rotation. So I think they'll probably go to a nine man rotation. Once everyone's fully healthy. I don't think Jeremy Lamb's in the mix. I think it's going to be McConnell, Justin holiday, Chris Duarte, O'Shea Brissett with the starting five, figure out how to play those nine together. I think that's your best nine overall, you know, McConnell, like you said, he's a guy that probably has his minutes reduced at some point. We saw Chris Duarte at times kind of control the offense a little bit. You know, Lavert can play some point. Obviously, Brogdon does too. So with those guys being able to handle the basketball, it makes a lot of sense. I don't think Justin Holiday will have any problem going to the bench once Karis Lavert is ready to come back. I, I could see the Pacers maybe putting Duarte back on the bench just to kind of get him in that role. But with how well he's playing and how much they needed him, it makes more sense to put Holiday back there because Duarte at this point is the future and the better player. So that's how I see it, Flachi. I just don't see a I don't see a way where Torrey Craig really gets back into it once everybody's fully healthy. No, no, I, I don't see that either. I mean, Torrey Craig right now has not kind of really been what you hope for. Um, so you hope to see a little bit more um, from just seeing TJ Warren in person the other night. Uh, I saw after the game he was walking over in his boot. Look. No one looks healthy in a walking boot. That goes without saying. But he looked kind of a while off from returning. I don't see – I don't think we're going to see T.J. Warren until, you know, deep way into December. Like I've said time after time, I'm no doctor, but I cannot imagine this man hitting the court anytime soon and putting up 20 points a game defending. So I think it's going to be a while. So Justin Holiday moving to the bench, I think that's going to be the move that happens first. I'm excited to see Levert. Um, you know, we're going to find out more information Monday when you're listening to this episode, as that's when I believe his follow-up is. Um, but for, for now, I mean, yeah, the, this rotation, it's, it's going to get slimmer. Jeremy Lamb, I think if he is going to be playing, I think it is going to be closer to 10 minutes. If not, he's probably going to start receiving. Did not play coach's decisions. I think it's only a matter of time. Yeah, let's move on to our next question. This comes from Samuel Corbertson. He said, I know when Levert and Warren get back, we will have a better, more deeper team, but I think Duarte is giving us close to the same amount of production, at least at the others. Would you give us, or would you agree or disagree with that? I would probably disagree just a little bit because I feel like both those guys are probably better at getting to the basket, but I think that Duarte is a better shooter than those two. So efficiently, maybe Duarte is not there quite yet. I don't want to jump the gun and be too hyperbolic with everything I'm saying about Duarte, but I think we have to realize and put in perspective how good Levert and Warren have been in this league and how good they've become over the last couple of years. So Duarte is not quite on their level yet, but, you know, give him a year or so, I think that he could be, but that's all potential. Right now, you still are a better team with a healthy Warren and Levert in the starting lineup over Duarte. Yeah, we are all prisoners of the moment. Trust me. This is Duarte mania right now. I mean, it's running wild. Everyone is on board. It is so fun to watch, even a loss, just to see him grow like that, uh, given that the loss is close. If we're getting blown out, nothing's fun about that. But but just, to, you know, TJ Warren, Karis LeVert, let's not forget just how good they are. Their last two seasons, like LeVert last year, career year. Um, TJ Warren, 
his last season as a Pacer, not the four games, a career year. I mean, these are guys that are really good. We just need to get them on the court together. And I think everybody can coexist. Duarte might not finish the season averaging 20 points per game. No one expected that. So let's temper the expectations, but I can't wait to get those guys back. So it's going to be a blessing when we do. Duarte down the line, he's going to be a really, really, really good player. Yeah, and I wouldn't be surprised if we see a lot of lineups where it's Brogdon, Duarte, Warren, and Levert with either Turner or Sabonis, whoever's playing better that night. I mean, that's all I'm saying. That that gives them the more modern look that you want in today's NBA, the ability to switch one through four, hopefully. And that's something that could be huge if you're trying to compete in the playoffs. I mean, imagine having all those guys healthy. Levert, to me, is still not a great defender, but I think he can, you know, get better. Not a great three-point shooter, but he can get better at that. He's really good at drawing fouls, mid-range game, handling the ball, sees the floor pretty well. I mean, there's a lot to like with this roster. It's just we haven't got a chance to see all the pieces together yet. And I think that Duarte right now has, you know, exceeded expectations by a long shot for everybody. So that's why we are all on cloud nine when it comes to, trying to analyze and evaluate how how talented Duarte is. But let's move on to Kuma31. He says, does Duarte's ability to be plugged and played at the two and three and even handle the ball at times make trading Levert or Warren more likely, especially Warren, who is in a contract year? Fachi? Oh, man, this is another one of those where we got to pump the brakes. Just let, just let our guys get healthy, you know. But, like, I, I mean, if we're going to be honest, though, yeah, it does at least <laughs> make the Pacers a bit more likely to do that because – Duarte is, is already, I would say, one to two years ahead of where anyone expected. So the Pacers have raved nonstop about T.J. Warren, getting T.J. Warren back. So I don't want to just cast him away before he even comes back. Played four games last year. We're waiting for him to come back. I mean, if Warren is even 80% of what he was before, even in the bubble or, or, last, or the previous year just on the court, we're going to be very, very excited about it. So – Guys, look, great free agents. They're they're not um, they're not rushing to, to get to Indiana at any point. So if you got a guy that wants to be there, that's a good player like TJ Warren. Then let's not run him out of town yet before he comes back. We'll have to see with TJ Warren with his health because that's the biggest question mark. And that's where I think it could become expendable. I think that's why they drafted Duarte too. Is hey, if we hit on something here, we're not able to retain. T.J. Warren, you got a guy on a rookie contract for at least three more years after his rookie season. So that is enticing. I think T.J. Warren wants to be here, so the Pacers probably want him here if he can stay healthy. But health has been the biggest thing for the Pacers, and so that is one concern. I think it does make both of them expendable in some regard. But right now, um, I don't know how much T.J. Warren's value is around the league because of the injury. So there's a reason why the Pacers got him from Phoenix for cash considerations. And they got picks to go with it. I mean, it's just one of those things where Warren's value wasn't maybe as high as some people thought. So it's it's clearly not as bad as I think the Suns sold him for. But regardless, it's just a guy that you really do want on your team if he can be healthy. But what is his ceiling? What does he look like when he comes back? We don't know yet. So if he comes back and plays poorly, then I think it definitely means he's more expendable. But that's uh, that's to be determined. We still don't know. So this is a question that we might want to ask once we see Warren play with this team for about 20 games. But realistically, and Alex, I mean, you talk about if he plays poorly, but then what's his value as he's expiring? So you don't want to just dump a guy just to dump him because I do think that'll send a message to free agents of, hey, TJ Warren was our guy, and, you know, look what happened to him. So he wasn't healthy. You want to stand by your players. 
to an extent. You know, like the Pacers tried to stand by Oladipo and offer him a contract. They gave him enough time. They're giving Warren enough time. They're playing the situation right. But this was a, a quick comment that a fan made to me uh, during the game at the Wizards game. Literally goes, whatever happened to TJ Warren? Where did he go? I said, no, he's still on the Pacers. He's just he's unfortunately <laughs> hurt. And that just shows that casual NBA fans, they forgot about Warren. So it's like, look, we can't be the guys that forget about TJ Warren. Get him back on the court. And, and I, I feel confident this guy is going to win us all back over again. Yeah, so we had a similar question here from Gavin Grzuski. He said, thoughts on a return for Warren and Lamb packaged together? Like I said, right now, it's just probably not much because they're both I wouldn't say Lamb's coming off an injury, obviously, but he, he's not the level of player that he once was five years ago. So this is a guy that's put a couple miles on his NBA body, not a good defender whatsoever, should not be closing games. He's a decent role player that can get you some baskets. But at the same time, he does, you know, you you sacrifice on on defense, What you know, you sacrifice his offensive production on the defensive side of things. So I don't feel like it would get you much, but if you're trying to combine salaries, it might – get you off somebody to, to free up some space. I don't, I don't know. It's, it's nothing really enticing. You probably have to add a pick in there to get anything back for real value. I was about to say, that's a classic Twitter NBA trade machine, you know, like just putting those two hurt guys in there basically, <laughs> you know, and, and thinking you're going to get something great back. Their value is not where the Pacers would want it to be. You don't want to just throw Warren away just to, to get some, you know, some shiny new toy back. So I'd say Warren is an asset the Pacers have that just in time, it'll help. What I think that's the way to look at this is, hey, through two games, Pacers didn't look good at all. Then you roll O'Shaper set out there for real minutes. He looked good. Next thing you know, Lavert's coming back. If the Pacers can, you know, tread water, be around 500, when TJ Warren comes back, it'll be a big boost to this team. So, but let's not just throw these guys away. You know, they are good players. Just the sky's not falling. We're one and two. Yeah, so so Fester35 asked two questions. We already answered the one basically about if Warren's expendable, so I'll move on from that. But he also said, from a team's per- team perspective, um, rather than individual, what's something you've liked and something you haven't liked from this team? Oh, I, w- I would say something that I've liked is the plan for Stuarte. I mean, that was someone that – <laughs> But it's a I team mean, perspective. For, okay, from a team perspective, the, the one thing that I don't like – the defensive play. I mean, through yeah. two games, they were so bad on the defensive side of things. Uh, one thing that I like, the rebounding. Like I mentioned before, the rebounding. It, it, Pacers have been one of the worst rebounding teams in the league over the last few years. And this year, they've been banging on the boards. I mean, it, it, guys like Brogdon don't need to have 14 rebounds a game. But if, if him and him Duarte can be respectable rebounders like that, it's going to go a long way. So I would say that's one thing I like and one thing I don't like. Yeah, I think you're right there with where I'm at with what I don't like and what I do like. I was going to say three-point shooting is something I'd like to see a little bit better, you know, especially after the last game. But it was a really bad shooting night for both teams, so it was more of a defensive-minded game. But those are going to change based on your matchup. I think that's one thing that I like about this team a lot is they can kind of – it's not a good thing, but they can kind of play different styles based on who they're playing against. They don't really have an identity, in my opinion. They don't because it's like we're playing a running gun with Washington one night. Then the next night we're playing a slugfest against Miami. It's like, we got to figure out the best way to figure out who this Pacers identity was. Like when we had Hibbert and we had West and we had George and Granger and Hill and Lance, like 
we knew what our identity was. We were going to be a physical basketball team, ran a lot of post touches, a lot of David West elbow shots, and then a lot of Paul George creating them for himself with George Hill sitting in the corner or Danny Granger kind of, you know, filling in for that Paul George role. So it was one of those things where you kind of knew what the identity was, but with this team, it's like, all right, offensively, we know we're going to run it through Sabonis most of the time. If not, you know, we're going to run some different actions, but defensively it's kind of been like, okay, we're going to, you know, uh, play some zone and now we're going to play some man and we're going to get beat off the dribble every time we're trying to guard somebody out of the top of the key. Like Ish Smith was just killing us in the first game, then Neto and Dinwiddie were killing us in the second game. And then last night, thankfully, we didn't have that problem against the Heat. So, you know, I just feel like uh, forming an identity is going to be huge. So let's move on to our next question. This comes from Dalton Chubb. He said, my question is, what's your favorite part about doing the podcast? Uh, I mean, I would say it's it's always awesome when you can talk to players that you grew up watching. I, I would say, because it's something that you never thought when Alex and I started this, like, we never thought that we would be able to interview players. And then to be able to interview someone that you just mentioned, David West or, you know, Jermaine O'Neal, my childhood hero, I would say stuff like that has really just uh, been the coolest part of it. Yeah, no, I agree with that, Foch. It's, it's cool to get some big names on here, but I would say really for me, it's just the interactions that I have with all the people on Twitter and Instagram. I, I enjoy when you guys message me or, chat with me online just so we can talk about basketball. Because, look, as much as I love talking with Fachi about the Pacers, I like to hear other people's perspectives as well. I like to hear what you guys are thinking. You know, maybe we don't see eye to eye on everything, but, hey, you guys can open up my eyes, something that maybe I'm kind of, you know, closed off to. So I think really for me the best part about doing the podcast is, one, being able to talk Pacers basketball with Fachi, but also with all the fans that, you know, continue to support the show. So, that's where I'd go with it. And then, of course, the, the cherry on top is when you get the big name interviews with the players, with the with the front office, that thing. That's where all the hard work pays off at. Oh, that's always fun. Always gets the juices flowing for, for a nice interview where you're like, all right, what's the questions that no one's really asked this guy? Or how can we get, like, you know, an update on what's going on with the team? But to, go, to touch on what you mentioned before, interacting with you guys, it, it's, it's unbelievable. I realized that when game one started against um, Charlotte the other night, Pacer Nation, they came absolutely alive on Twitter. Everyone, it was like all the names that I hadn't seen in a while. Like everyone was just interacting, so happy to have Pacer basketball back. And I feel like to even show my age, I'm going to be 30 next month in November. And before there was Twitter, and I was growing up in New York, you, I, I couldn't find another Pacer fan. There were no one, I was like an alien. It was like, everyone was like, you're a Pacer fan? Like, what? And I was so diehard, but I didn't know another Pacer fan. And then through being on Twitter, through doing this podcast and everything, I feel like it's it's made the world that much smaller to connect everybody together who is just as diehard as I am, as you are and everything. We love this team and being able to interact with all of our listeners Everybody who is just passionate about this squad, it, it just makes the love for this team that much stronger. And that it's like when Alex and I are so exhausted. I mean, the episode against Charlotte, we recorded a full episode and then we lost it. And then we had to record another episode because we were like, we have to get something out there. Like there, there are people that want to hear about this game right now. And we would not do that without you guys. Absolutely. So that kind of wraps up everything we're going to talk about today. Just really quick, want to look at our week in, uh, in advance here. So, of course, Monday night, we've got the Bucks, and then we play again 
on Wednesday against the Raptors on the road. We don't play Thursday. Then we play Friday on the road against the Nets. And then we're back home Saturday for another game against the Raptors. So the Bucks, the Raptors twice, and the Nets, Fachi. I think best case scenario here is two and two. Best case is probably two and two. You play the Raptors twice. I don't know what the health status of Pascal Siakam is going to be. Uh, I know Siakam missed the first two games of the season. So that's something to monitor. You know the Nets won't have Kyrie Irving. And the Nets just lost tonight against Charlotte. So anything can happen. Uh, th- that game against the Bucks, though, I know anything can happen. But look, I'm not anticipating a win. It's still the defending champs. So look, hey, Miami absolutely smacked them. And then we beat Miami. So it's possible. You're doing it, Fachi. I'm doing, doing it. I'm doing it little by little. I said it wouldn't happen. And then I'm talking myself into it. And that's just how much I love these Pacers. I, I will say that I am intrigued to see how Carlisle tries to figure out a way to defend this Milwaukee team. Because with both Nates at the helm, Milwaukee has had our number, especially since Giannis has become Giannis. And, you know, we don't have Thad Young anymore. For that's to, exactly what I was thinking. To be our... Hashtag Giannis stopper, which wasn't really much of a stopper. But at the end of the day, I, I think that the Pacers are going to figure out some different ways to maybe make this difficult for the Bucks. But I thought the same thing against the Wizards, and it looked like we were playing the same type of game that Bjorkman would play. So um, anyway, let's uh, let's wrap it up. Fachi, where can the people find us at on social media? So you can find us on Twitter at SettingThePace3. You can find Alex on Twitter at AlexGoldenNBA. I can be found on Twitter at underscore F-A-C-C-I. You could find us on Instagram at Pacers Talk. You could find us on Facebook at Setting the Pace. And you could find us on TikTok at Setting the Pace. And if you believe Christy Duarte is a frontrunner for Rookie of the Year, scream these three words. Let's go Pacers! Oh, we have some chicken on that one! Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.